burnout is a real issue. And so I feel like I got to that point where I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And I don't think it's a good way to practice medicine, especially what I do cannot be done in a five, 10 minute visit. Hello, and welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Jill Farmer. I'm one of the lead coaches at Doc Working, and we are so lucky to be joined today by Dr. Becky Lynn. Dr. Becky Kaufman Lynn is the CEO and founder of Evora Women's Health, and she's a board-certified gynecologist and trained sexual counselor and menopause provider. She's also an adjunct associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology at St. Louis University School of Medicine. Thank you so much for being with us today, because while you have all of those hats on, we're really going to talk today about your experience transitioning from a busy life as a practicing OBGYN and professor full-time into starting this all-new practice kind of on that concierge model and what that journey has been like for you. Is there one thing that has surprised you most about your experience of making this transition over the last few years to this new practice and new way of practicing? Well, I think, you know, I'm a planner. And so I used to be full-time faculty at St. Louis University. So I left there and I had spent all this time, created a business plan. I had this vision of how things were going to go. And, you know, when I look back, I've been now in private practice concierge for a little over a year. My business looks nothing like what I expected. And so I, I almost have to laugh at that, how it's just morphed into, I mean, it's great. I'm really happy about what it's morphed into. But when you start, you have this idea, but then as things go along, things change. And then, you know, not to mention, I started in February of 2020. So right as the pandemic hit. So, I mean, if you can imagine, nothing was working as planned in, you know, April and May and, and a lot of March too. So really one of the biggest takeaways that you learned from this is being somebody who really likes to have a plan and have things kind of turn out the way that you plan them to be. What you discovered is you have to have a plan and kind of hold it loosely, right? Because you got to be willing to pivot. <laughs> pivot and you have to be flexible. And, you know, I really think that you try something. If that doesn't work, you move on to your plan B and you sort of learn along the way. And that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about my new practice is like, it's all about learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I love teaching. I love learning. And so this has definitely been, you know, very eye-opening for me, a challenge for me. I love it. Apart from the fact that I get to practice medicine the way that I want to practice medicine, where I have time with my patients, where I call them directly. The business model of concierge really, really works well. I just wasn't really happy with the short visits where you really didn't have time to get to know your patients and get to the root cause of their issues or talk about preventative medicine and just being healthy. So, you know, apart from the fact that I love this model, I do love learning. So it's been a challenge and a good one. And so talk a little bit, if you would, give us an example or two of the things that you had all mapped out in your mind beautifully in your business plan. And as this was going to all unfold in your new practice opening that has changed and that you couldn't have seen coming and what have yeah. been the results of that for you? Yeah. So when I started, I just, you know, I thought of myself as a gynecologist. I'm a menopause specialist and a sexual health specialist. So I had sort of a closed-minded view of, okay, I'm just going to go practice medicine. I'm going to put my shingle out. I'm going to practice medicine and do what I do. 
And what I found though, that the patients that were coming to me, they needed more than what I could give them, especially when it comes to menopause. Now that I had time to talk about healthy living, nutrition, exercise, I didn't have a registered dietitian. I didn't have a personal trainer. So over the year, I've really gotten to grow my ancillary services so that women have everything they need in one supportive space. So in my old practice, you know, menopause was all about hot flashes, night sweats, low libido, painful sex, and it still is. But in the traditional model, I really didn't have time to delve into nutrition or exercise and all the health benefits of that. And so one thing I did not foresee myself having was the ancillary services. And then as time went on and we added personal trainers and dietitians, and we realized that we were referring a lot of women to mental health therapy and pelvic floor physical therapy. So I really decided at that point that I really wanted to have all of those services in one supportive space under one roof where women can come and and get everything they need in one space. So while you perceived, I guess, that you were leaving a very large institutional medicine practice and that you were going to be kind of going out on your own, you've really ended up being able to be more collaborative and sort of just build a team, but build a team based on your specific business needs and values and desire to practice. Right. And even without thinking about it, like every day that my team is here and I meet with them, I see the value of integrated care, you know, like being able to, you know, meet with the mental health therapist. Ours is named Jenny. She's wonderful. And like to talk about what would be the best thing for this patient, like this integrated care model, I think is wonderful. And we all work together. And I feel fortunate that I've been able to assemble the team that I have. They're all wonderful. And it's funny because somebody asked me on a different podcast, they said, how did you find your employees that share the same mission as you? And I thought about, I'm like, you know, they found me because I put the feelers out. I put an ad on Indeed and they saw like Evora's mission and they found me. And so knock on wood, I've been very lucky that I just love my team and it's just gives me a lot of joy. (laughs) Yeah. And that's so good to hear because sometimes we get so afraid about finding the right people. And so when I think you you give us a really clear message, whether you're going out on your own in a concierge practice or building a practice, you know, successful business as a practice, if you're really clear on your values and how you are able to provide that for your patients it helps make it a lot easier because the people who are attracted to that and are attracted to what you put out in the world are likely going to be a a better fit for you. So I think it's a new way of thinking for a lot of people because they're used to just like, you know, thinking it in that traditionally only left brain way. I need a person to sit here and answer my phone, but I think it's a more evolved way of really helping to match up getting great people that want to help you thrive and your business thrive. And I'll also say that, you know, we do a lot of things here that are non-traditional. And so I think that that's been kind of fun to try things that are different, not as far as treatments or anything, like we're pretty evidence-based and academic, but, you know, we like right now, the way that it works, we don't have one person's usually specifically signed to the front desk, but my medical assistant will go to the front, bring the patient back, you know, check the vitals, all that. But then they check out in the room. And she goes back in the room and, you know, does all the checkout in the room. And then our office phone is a cell phone. Why not? We're concierge. You can reach us after hours on the weekend. So 
you know, it's been kind of interesting to be able to think outside of the box and not say, oh, we have to have, you know, this many people at the front desk and this many people at checkout. And not taking insurance gives us a lot of leeway to run as efficiently as possible. So it's been fun and interesting. And of course, the not taking insurance part of things is often, as I'm talking to physician clients or just people out in other work that I'm doing, they'll talk about, it just feels like such a scary leap to not have that revenue base and to be thinking about moving that. So talk, if you would, a little bit about the financial literacy that you had to create for yourself to be able to make that move to be candid from that money perspective, because it's a big change. Oh, it is a big change because you go from here to here, like overnight. You know, I've always been a little bit business minded. I was an economics major and a Spanish minor and then decided I wanted to go to med school. And so when I was at Mizzou before I was at St. Louis University, when I moved up to St. Louis University, one of the benefits that they have is they'll pay for your schooling, a graduate degree. So I started at St. Louis University or SLU in 2015, and I started my MBA almost immediately. And I took my time as a busy physician. I didn't have time to, you know, be full-time in school. It was night classes. I took maybe one or two a semester. People ask me all the time, they say, do you have to have an MBA to be able to do this? And I don't think you do. I really don't. But I think that the MBA really helped me just have a broader knowledge. I've always been an employed physician. So I've never been a boss. I've never, you know, I've really just been an employee. And so, you know, having that MBA opened my eyes to marketing and opened my eyes to hiring and opened my eyes to like assembling a team. And so I'm really glad that I did do that. And I think it's been really helpful. And it did give me confidence to start my own business that I wasn't just leaping into this blindly. The other thing I had is I had some friends who have practices like mine in other states. And so just to know that they were able to make this model work and their practice was very similar to mine was great. And then I had them to bounce my ideas off. So what are you doing for this? This is how I'm going to set my thing up. So I think the combination of those two things gave me the confidence to do it. But it is hard because if you're a family that relies solely on your income, you know, then that's a big hit to a family income. You know, it was a hit to us. It was a big adjustment for my children, you know, they're teenagers, but it's been so worth it. You know, there's a real issue in medicine right now with burnout because a lot of physicians are just so burnt out because their day is you see like 40 patients in a day. And at least for me, then I would see my patients throughout the day. And then I would go home, feed my kids, do whatever. And then I'd have to chart all night long. I'd have to work on my notes all night long. And I didn't realize how burnt out I was from the system until I left the system and began remembering why I enjoyed taking care of people. But burnout is a a real issue. And so I feel like I got to that point where I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And I don't think it's a good way to practice medicine, especially what I do cannot be done in a five, 10 minute visit. And I don't feel like you should be rushed with your patients, you know, or it's not quality. So anyway, yeah, I'm glad that I did it, that I took that leap of faith. Tell me a little bit about what was the scariest thing for you as you had the spark of an idea, you wanted to do it, but it was kind of a big, scary, audacious goal and idea. What was the scariest part for you and how has your experience been now, you know, more than a year in addressing those things that scared you? You know, honestly, I don't think I was scared. 
like, I don't know what that says about me, but I wasn't scared because if I was truly scared, I wouldn't have done it. I wasn't really scared about it. You know, I think the hardest thing that I faced is the financial hit for sure. And then the second hardest thing that I faced is that, you know, when you're an employee, your salary, so your income is just stable. You're just, you know, stable. You know what you're getting no matter what happens. Whereas in a private practice, some days you have five people calling to schedule with you. And some days you have nobody calling. And so your revenue is kind of like a roller coaster. And so that is what's scary to me. That I didn't even think of that, right? I just never thought of that when I was planning this whole thing out. And so I find sometimes I start to get like, where is everybody? Why are they not calling? And then the next week, everybody's calling and I'm feeling great. We're doing great. So you lose the financial stability, but then you lose sort of the negatives of being in traditional medicine where, you know, you're based on volume. You have to see so many patients in a day. I gain a lot of freedom having my own practice, but then I also gain that a little bit of, if I don't work, I don't have revenue. Whereas before I had paid vacation, now if I don't work, I don't have revenue coming in. So it's swapping one stressor for another, but so worth it. There's not one day ever that I would give this up to go back to traditional medicine. I just, I couldn't do it. And I tell my kids that all the time. They're like, but you left your job and now we can't have this and that. They're wonderful kids, but you know, it's hard to understand. But yeah, there's not one day I would ever go back to traditional medicine. So one of the things I've heard a couple times having conversations with physician clients and coaching conversations is they have a little bit of hesitation because, you know, the concierge model relies on patients who have money. And so there is a little bit of a hesitation. Am I only going to be seeing such a narrow kind of people in a certain cast of society and those kinds of things? Can you talk a little bit about what your considerations were for all that and what your experience has been like with that? Absolutely. I'm glad that you asked that because when I was figuring this all out, I felt horrible for my patients who couldn't afford me. And part of it is not fair. So if you have money, then you can spend an hour with your doctor. If you don't, you get a five-minute visit. And if you have a second problem, you have to come back and pay another copay six months from now. And so I did, I felt bad. And I really, I enjoy working with my patients. I like the patient-physician relationship. And I just couldn't bear to abandon my patients. So what I did is I started a giving back to the community day. So that is the second Tuesday of every month. I see patients in my office, regardless of ability to pay. So they can pay nothing, they can pay something, you know, it just runs the whole gamut. I tell everybody they can bring me cookies. Nobody's brought me cookies yet, but I'll take them. But it's just whatever they feel is appropriate. And I like doing that. That way I don't feel like, okay, well, only the wealthy can have, you know, time with their doctor. So, or thorough history taken or a thorough exam or talk about prevention and lifestyle and things like that. So that's one way that I've handled it. You know, I started that from day one and I still have my giving back to the community day. That's really great. Cause I think sometimes, you know, I have a conversation and I've talked about this here on the podcast before. Sometimes as physicians, you know, everyone has been driven into such a kind of a narrow way of training under this very regimented routine. And that sometimes there's a little learned helplessness, like, ah, oh, this part, mm-hmm. I, I just have to live with this part that really feels like it's outside my values. And so that's a really good example of taking two challenges that seem paradoxical, right? I want the freedom 
to not have to be beholden to the insurance companies, but I also want to be more inclusive in who I serve as opposed to only seeing people who can pay out of pocket. And that's just a great example of taking that paradox and getting a really creative solution that lines up with your values beautifully. Yeah, it definitely lines up with my values. So, yeah. What encouragement do you have for people that are in the process of just thinking about whether developing a concierge practice might help enliven and kind of reignite (laughs) if you're feeling burned out (laughs) your desire to be of service in medical practice? I think it definitely reignites the passion that we all have and why we went into this in the first place. You know, nobody went into being a physician to stare at a computer screen all day and type into it. And, you know, I I think I would say, believe in yourself. I think this is a movement. I have been doing this only a little over a year and I see more and more physicians going to this model daily. And so I think, you know, that will help all of us who are doing this model because, you know, one thing that I find funny and I joke about a little bit is sometimes patients call and they say, well, does Dr. Lynn take this insurance? And my system will be like, no, we don't take insurance. And they'll be like, well, well, does she take this insurance? Like people are really unfamiliar with the, what do you mean she doesn't take insurance? And I've definitely had patients ask me why I don't. And I think that, you know, the more of us that are doing this, the more that people will realize that this is a, in my opinion, a better way to do it. It doesn't work for everybody, but it's a really good way to do it for patients. And I think I would just tell people who are considering it to believe in themselves and that there is also a big support network. There are several Facebook groups that I belong to with direct pay and direct care physicians. And they've been really helpful to me just because you learn so much. And I love that I can hop on a Facebook group and say, hey, what did you guys use for your EMR? Or what did you do in this situation? So there's a lot of people out there to help you if you're really considering it. And do you have a projection now that you're actually living it and doing it and making the pivots you talked about? Do you have a projection that you will be able to match the income you had over time that you had before you think you'll get there? I do. Yep. And actually, you know, and I think in the long run, I'll be better off. I think it'll take a couple of years, but the way that traditional medicine is that, you know, reimbursements go down each year. So, you know, I felt like I was sort of here is where my salary is and that's where I'm staying. You're stuck. It's never going to really go up, especially when your hours are maxed out. It could only go down. And with reimbursements going down every year, you're just going to make less. So I do think that my goal, hopefully this realistic goal would be to be at my prior salary at my three year mark. And then beyond that, to be able to make more because, you know, I was an academic physician. So academic physicians already make less than private practice, although that difference is sort of narrowing, that gap is narrowing, but that's hopefully where I will be in three years back to where I was. And then beyond that, hopefully better off. Dr. Becky Lynn, who is the CEO and founder of Evora Women's Health, board certified OBGYN, as well as associate professor, now adjunct at St. Louis University School of Medicine. Thank you for your candor and thank you for your insights. I think it's just really helpful for other doctors to hear about your own experience and how there's just so much enthusiasm. You can tell that this is really where you're meant to be practicing at this phase of your life. So thank you for your time. It was great to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jill. To all of you who tuned in today to listen, we want to thank you so much and we are growing fast. So If you know other physicians that could use incredible information delivered succinctly 
and in a meaningful way. Make sure that you are telling your colleagues and friends about Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. And if you haven't gone over to our website at docworking.com yet and signed up to get on our list, that's the place where you learn about the courses we're giving. That's the place you can learn more about performance coaching and individual coaching, support coaching, and life coaching for physicians. So go over there and check that all out. And until next time, thanks for joining us on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. We want to remind you that if you do want coaching support right now, all you have to do is go to docworking.com and you can check out our coaching opportunities for you to get a certified coach who is experienced in working with physicians. Also, if you're not on our newsletter yet, you got to get over to docworking.com today and sign up. That's how you find out about all kinds of offers and resources that we have available to you. So until next time, thanks so much for being with us here on Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Taran. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. On Instagram, we are docworking1, and that is with the number 1. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story you'd like to tell, please reach out to me at amanda at docworking.com to apply to be on the podcast. Thank you again, and we look forward to talking with you on the next episode of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast.